Welcome to the next edition of our Ivy Mythbusters series. In this podcast, Ivy's MBA recruiting team, along with recent MBA alumni, debunk admissions myths, including competitive GMAT scores, non-traditional backgrounds, and more. Um, my name is Lindsay Littman. I'm one of the associate directors for our full-time MBA recruiting and admissions team. I'm here with my colleague. I'm Amy Froud. I'm also one of the associate directors for the full-time MBA program, and I'm really happy to be here in person. It's great to have this option of the hybrid event, so we appreciate the folks who are able to, to make it in, and of course, those who aren't able to tune in. I'm glad, glad you're here virtually to have some good takeaways about the admissions for the MBA. We hear a lot of myths around it, so we thought, why not have one event where we can debunk a lot of them all at once? And, and then after Amy and I go through some of the key myths that we encourage you to disregard um, about MBA admissions, we're going to bring in our two alumni who are going to talk about how they chose their MBA, um, things they looked at. It's also a great chance for you to ask live questions to either the alumni or to Amy or myself. So with that being said, I think we will get started, um, but I think it's important, um, you know, just to touch on COVID and, and the state of that right now, um, just because we do receive so many questions about that and, and the climate of COVID uh, currently at Ivy. So um, we are very excited uh, to announce that we are back in person. So uh, teaching fully face-to-face now. So we have a full classroom um, of our 2022s there participating as, as it was intended to be. Um, so they're learning case, uh, case-based learning uh, face-to-face by their faculty. So of course, um, with that being said, there are, you know, situations that take place and, and this is fluid. And so we always, um, you know, we are guided by provincial uh, regulations. And so we do follow their direction. Uh, we are hopeful that going forward, everything stays as is. We are on the upward trend now, uh, you know, moving back to normal. So uh, I just thought it would be important to just touch on that, but things are looking really positive for yeah. next year's class. So uh, we will be transparent with that yeah. as we receive more information, but uh Positive all around. Positive yeah. all around. Yeah, and the yeah. March class started in 2022. So for those who are still thinking about applying to start with us in four months, one, there is still time. So mm-hmm. yes, you're okay. Uh, second, it is intended to be in person as well. So as Amy's mentioned, how we are now, we're hoping to continue forward with that and eventually removing these things from our face, which I know <laughs> we're all looking forward to doing. So um, baby steps, um, we're hopeful we'll get there. So um, so with that, let's, let's kick off one of the major myths we hear around. Mm-hmm. A lot of the concerns is you and I speak a mm-hmm. lot with candidates and that's around the GPA of your undergrad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about anyone, but I know during my undergrad, I maybe was the most focused. Maybe I was a little distracted by um, activities going on outside of campus. I really wasn't one of those individuals who knew exactly what I want to do with my career. So I tried different disciplines. I, you know, went to part-time, then I went to full-time. And so with that, it can impact your GPA. And a lot of the concerns is around, I have to have a really strong GPA in order to be considered for an MBA. And that is not the case. Um, We're happy to debunk that. Um, You know, we look at the time when you're undergraduate as that was a time in your life 
many things are going on, maybe some of the situations I've just outlined was going on for yourself. Um, you can't go back and change that. You know, you can change yourself now, take on designations, um, you know, take extra courses, but you can't change that time. So we're not going to hold that against you if you don't have the best grades. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to have this, you know, 80% undergrad or, you know, you know, high GPA to get into a program. We look at that with your GMAT or GRE score collectively. So it's important to understand, as we always say, it's like an academic assessment. Mm -hmm. Looking at a GMAT, GRE score, we say them one and the same with your GPA. So if one is quite low, let's say your GPA, if that's really low, then your GMAT or GRE should be a little higher. If both are low, our concern is that, as our alumni will test to later on, it's a fast-paced program. This is not a, well, you've got time to figure it out. And so we want to make sure if we give you an offer, we feel confident that you can keep up with the pace with the academic rigor as well. And we frankly would not be doing you any good if we give you an offer and you had you know, lower scores on both your academic marks that we look at, that would just not be fair for yourself, and nor would you thrive in the program. So that's how we sort of look at the GPA in conjunction with the GMAT or GRE is collectively as an academic assessment. Yeah, and just to, just to kind of touch on that, just to add to it, I would say with your GPA, um, and, and I can completely uh, align with Kinsey <laughs> in terms of, you know, when I was going through my undergrad and not you know, not completely committed sometimes. Um, the last two years are, are the, the years that are most important. And so, you know, sometimes we have growing pains in year one and two. And so we kind of start to figure it out a little bit in years three and four. Mm -hmm. And so those are the most important. And that's really where we take the average from. And, and sometimes we do hear sighs of relief yeah. <laughs> on our phone calls yeah. when, when we say that. So just something to keep in mind um, with that. But I think you know, something to dovetail on with the undergraduate um, conversation piece is also debunking the myth around a non-traditional background versus a traditional background. And, and what does that mean through the application process? Um, I, I think, you know, for us, that's a really common question and, and a concern that we hear from um, prospective students who are, you know, maybe from the social social science background and they're thinking, oh, geez, you know, I, did, I don't have any business courses. How am I going to fare? in an MBA program, um, you know, I think it's just something that you need to kind of clear out of your mind. Um, we want all, um, we, we really want a diverse background. I think that's where the magic happens in, in the classroom. And so, you know, if you think of uh, having a classroom full of business uh, or business backgrounds, you know, that would not make for a lively <laughs> conversation. I, th I think you're going to get a very limited perspective. Um, it, it's great to have those, but it's also great to have, you know, another branch of thinking. And so, you know, that's where we look at those with, like I said, the social science background, those with marketing backgrounds, those uh, with an English lit background. Everyone's got something to bring to the table, especially through that problem solving um, phase, which is, which is all case study. Um, so I think it's, it's just something to bring to your attention that don't, self-select yourself out of the process based on your background. Um, that's really important. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And yeah. I think the part of that magic Amy's referencing to is, you know, in our classroom, you know, have, maybe you'll have an entrepreneur, maybe you'll have a lawyer, maybe you'll have a teacher, you'll have someone with a marketing background, you'll have someone who has an English lit background. And the, the beauty of it is when you're analyzing, you're all analyzing the same problem, the same situation, but the takeaways are very different. And that's our intention. You know, we're a general MBA program. We're trying to wrap 
round you out. So that way you can understand that solving a business problem or any situation in the world, no matter what industry you're in, whether it's healthcare, whether it's in banking, is that there's more than one way to look at it. And so how do you approach that? And how do you pivot your thinking? And it's, it's those sort of aha moments we always love hearing about in the classroom where, you know, you're, they're solving a case and someone brings a point to point, like maybe the, the legal side of situations. Like, oh, I never thought about that. Right? And it's like, okay, now I understand why the benefit is of actually having different individuals from all over the world, because culturally there's different ways of approaching different problems and as well as from different experiences, both industry-wise and um, uh, undergraduate-wise. And I, I think it's a, a valid point to say, don't worry about being traditional or standard. That, that Just throw that out the window. That is not something that you need to be focused on. And actually, most of our students in our program have don't have a business undergrad degree. Any given year, roughly 60% don't. So think of it, you're actually... The, the standard if you don't have a business undergrad, which is a little bit of backwards thinking, uh, but really it is going back to the point that we want people to look at things from a different angle and be open-minded to learn from others. So don't get like, fixed on the fact that you have to be called traditional business undergrad because it's not the case at all, whether it's education or even career-wise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think another, and we're kind of working from a list, and mm. you know, just we, we have this master list of okay, let's talk about some myths. Yeah. And a, one key um, question is the GMAT, and I know you covered yeah. GMAT a little yeah. bit already, just with in terms of academic. Now we know all the pens go down. Yeah, all the, yeah. this is the one where it's like everyone's going to pause and and me, totally it, focus. It is the first yeah. question yeah. asked on most of our uh, mm-hmm. on our uh, candidate uh, phone calls, and. Um, no surprise. I know it causes a lot of, um, you know, concern and it's kind of daunting. There's a lot of prep that goes into that. So understandable. But we do want to just speak to what the expectation is. Um, and I think people, candidates, prospective candidates get hung up on this this score. It's It's got to be like a 700. And, you know, to be competitive in the process, it's got to be you know, 680 and above or nothing. It simply isn't the case. That is one data point of many that we look at. Um, yes, of course, it will let us know your quantitative strengths. Um, and, and that is important to a degree yep. in in the program. We want to make sure that you will be successful. But a 700, it simply isn't required. Um, that doesn't show us the strength of you as a candidate. Right. Many other things demonstrate that. Um, so we're really looking at the profile of you um, as a whole. So it's a holistic assessment. It's not just the GMAT. Of course, a GMAT can can be quite beneficial in in some ways. Um, you know, looking post MBA, depending on where you're steering your career towards. Um, for instance, if it's management consulting or if it's maybe finance, um, you know, within that realm, then yes. Um, but something not to get hung up on mm-hmm. at this stage in the application, I would say shooting upwards and over a 600 would be, you know, a good target. Um, so, you know, it, it's just important that that piece alone is not going to make or break you. Okay. Um, like I said, it's the holistic piece. It's really about who you are and your fit mm-hmm. overall yeah. um, and how that's demonstrated through the application. And we do accept the GMAT and GRE equally. Mm-hmm. Um, in recent years, it's been become more of the case because now recruiters will actually take a GRE score and convert it to GMAT. Generally speaking, everyone speaks in terms of a GMAT score. So whenever you hear 600 plus, just there's an online tool and you can 
enter in your GRV score, then you can convert to see approximately what that is. But it's just sort of a, a kind of a standard that you reference typically in GMAT scores. But we accept both equally. And if you're not sure which test to take, there you can figure it online by looking at both tests and see which is the better test for you. Because you do want to obviously sign up for a test that you're going to perform better in. So of course, do the work, look at it, and see which one is better for your your learning style and your background. Um, now, technically speaking, there are some industries that would prefer a GMAT because again, the quantitative part of the GMAT is more challenging than the of the GRE. So in particular, like investment banking or the private equity side of things, you know, those that's a quantitative heavy area of interest of a career, naturally you should be looking at a GMAT because that is going to align better with what typically those recruiters are looking for. We'll always use words like typically and <laughs> most of the time because like with anything in life, things can change. And, you know, at the end of the day, you have to choose what's right for you, which test is the right for you. The number of times that you write it is up to you. Uh, a lot of individuals will write the GMAT at least twice. Now, after the second time, we have known from doing research and reading reports from, from GMAT that the scores don't keep going up from there. <laughs> Oftentimes, they actually stay the same or go backwards, surprisingly enough. So this is where, again, like know your own self, take your time, write the test, but expect that you may have to write it twice. So set that up as you're preparing for it. You usually need at least three months of preparation, but that, again, depends on the individual. So um, use a resource, work with a group that usually just help with you preparing better for it. Um, but from an admission side, both are accepted equally. During COVID, they had the uh, an online version as well. We accept them both equally. And so it doesn't matter which one you write, whatever is better for yourself. Now, um, you know, this is where, again, the GMAT GRE conversation, there's admissions conversation, like A600 plus, as Amy mentioned. And then there's also the career side of it, which, you know, again, you may want to go higher than that, depending on the organization. And that's part of our job. As we get to know you, we understand your career goals. You may be great to apply with the 580 GMAT or GRE, but then we might say to you, listen, you're really striving for management consulting and you've only written the test once. Why don't you try to write again before the first day of the program? And that's exactly what we would recommend that you do because... You might say to yourself, I'm otherwise ready to apply and I and I want to see if I'm going to get in. And if I get in, I want to write it again. Absolutely. And that's what we'll help with coaching through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, another piece is, is, you know, just talking about admissions questions that we hear. We have six rounds of admissions throughout the year. And so I think, you know, the worry is, you know, now that we are approaching the final two rounds of um, admission for 2022, um, you know, folks get a little bit worried and, and concerned, are there enough spaces for me at this stage? Like, oh no, I've waited too long. I'm really interested in applying for 2022, but I've probably blown my chances. That's simply not um, the case. And we will debunk that right now because um, if you are qualified, if you are um, a quality, um, you're a five week quality, there will always be a space for you um, within the class. And I think, you know, just, don't get hung up on the due dates. We do rolling admissions as well. And so that's another thing to, to keep in mind. And so when you're ready to apply, you don't necessarily have to wait until the due date um, to submit that application. When you're ready and you're feeling confident that you're putting your best foot forward, that's when we advise you to do it. Um, it could be you know, our last round. If you're ready to do it then, then do it then. Hit the submit button then. But we want you to be in a good space um, and, and prepared to go through the next stages in the uh, admissions process. And I think on top of that, with that late application also comes 
What about scholarships? Yeah. Um, oh, yes. And so if I'm applying late, uh, that probably means that, you know, the pot has run mm -hmm. empty. And that's also just not, it is. Just not true. <laughs> um, not to touch on, you know, the, the IV, um, you know, the funds available, but they're available. And, and uh, we always make sure that those that are competitive through the process are awarded competitively. Um, yeah. uh, so it's, yeah, it's very much yeah. related there. It's, so. a, it's always a great question to ask as you're doing your research of being an educated MBA buyer, mm -hmm. because every school is different with that. And truthfully, there are schools that I'll call early bird special, where <laughs> you get in the first two rounds, you're much likely to get an offer and a much higher scholarship. Mm -hmm. So there, it does exist. It doesn't exist with us. And I know people ask, well, how does that work? And again, we're not going to spill our insider um, strategies, <laughs> but it, it does truly exist. And it is something that we say, apply when you're ready. And ready means a lot of things. Ready doesn't, I mean, ready means exploring the schools, get to know them, come to events like today, connect with us. Um, but understanding to say like within four weeks of you applying, you're going to hear a decision from us. So are you ready then when a decision is given to you? If it is a, hey, we'd love to have you, are you able to say to us within two weeks, yes, I'm coming or mm, no, I'm not. So do the work, understand, you know, when it's best for you to apply within those six rounds. Maybe you're writing for the GMAT or the GRE. Maybe you figure out your financing plan, which is also very important to figure out of being ready for the MBA. And then go forward and click submit. Now, part of your application, a lot of questions you get around is that whole reference side within who do I choose as my reference? And you need the references as part of your application when you click submit. And commonly, which is under which is thought, which is not true, is that you need to have the CEO, the president. It's all about the title of the reference. The title doesn't mean that much to us. What matters most to us is that when these two professionals, and they have to be professional references only, when they are filling this form on you, we can tell they know you. They give more than one sentence. They're not going to say, I know the category of teamwork where it's a full free-form text box, one sentence written saying, Natalie is a great team player. Well, we would assume that by now, that of course she's a good <laughs> team player, but tell us more about, and you think I'm kidding. That is like, we have seen literally one sentence in for these free-form text boxes. And I, you know, your heart always breaks a bit because you think these are individuals that applicants are hoping are going to give them some good color and context to the background. And it's not a joke, one sentence per box. It doesn't give us much to go on. And so, you know, as much as we engage with you and we try to get to know you and you come to events like today, these are people that are impacting the offer decision. And if they don't give us enough to understand, well, how, what are Natalie's strengths? What are some things she's working on? Have you had those conversations with her? What are some development areas that she's working on? Is she aware of them? Is she striving towards them? Um, you know, interpersonal skills and, of course, leadership. If we can't get that understanding from there that this person has seen you in action, that's a letdown. And it's going to impact us really fully assessing your profile. So it's important as you're choosing them that it's not necessarily the title. It's that you trust that they can give you a good reference and that they've worked with you. They've seen you in the weeds. It doesn't have to be your current employer. We also understand that sometimes that's sensitive and you're not quite ready to tell your employer you're yet, but again, you're otherwise ready to apply. So don't feel it has to be your supervisor or anyone from your current employer. But no, we don't want someone from your undergrad days. Like it doesn't, we shouldn't be for someone from your university, whether it was a you know part-time work employee or not. It should be from your professional career since you graduated university. But anyone along that point forward will absolutely be acceptable for a reference. Absolutely. Um, so I think just around, just in the interest of time, just because I know that we we have some guests to join us, but I think it's important just to kind of reiterate, um, you know. It, 
the idea of connecting with us and and how important that is and, and attending events and, you know, just getting to know what the program is about, whether it's a fit for you culturally, um, program wise, you know, does the case methodology fit for you um, attending an event like you are tonight um, and just really exploring it really thoroughly um, is is what we would suggest mm -hmm. through uh, to really get to know the admissions process, um, what we look for, um, and, and all of that. But I think one last thing to touch on um, that it, it's more of a tip than anything mm -hmm. is about the, you know, we know that an MBA is an important decision in your life. You're only going to do one in your lifetime and you're exploring many options. Um, I think it's really important and we can't stress it enough to be transparent, you know, through the process if you're working with us. Um, and if you are working with other schools and, and you may have another offer on the table, we're not going to slight you for that. We expect that, right? That That's part of the process. And so I think, you know, it helps us to help you um, if we know those details, um, because we can often, you know, maybe sometimes expedite things for yeah. you. We can, we can work with you um, to get a decision um, back to you. And, and I think that some, that, that's one of those things that I think many, many folks are a little bit apprehensive about mm -hmm. being fully transparent about that. They think that's going to, you know, be a hindrance and, and yeah. reflect negatively. Simply not the case. Um, you know, like I said, it's an expectation that you will be exploring more than one school. So just talk to yeah. us, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So I think, that probably wraps this portion up, but I mean, we plenty of opportunity to ask questions yes. um, with our uh, alum guests who yes. we'll be introducing. Yes. Um, and so probably the best. Yeah, so my dear Natasha, do you want to come on? Yeah. Down? Great. And so of course, Leanne is going to moderate the um, questions from the virtual audience. And then for those here in person, if you have a question by any means, just, you know, raise your physical hand and, uh, and we'll be happy to, to ask. And of course, the questions can be directed to Amy, myself, or Tasha, someone, Dira, admissions related or otherwise, you know, we're here to help and give you more information where we can. So, um, Mondira, why don't we kick off with you to, sure. uh, introduce yourself. Tell us okay. before Ivy, just maybe your undergraduate and where you were with your career and where you are now. Okay. Sounds good. So as Lindsay said, my name is Mandira. I'm class of 2021, which means I graduated March of this year. Um, prior to my MBA, I was working in pharmaceuticals in the commercial space marketing. Before that, I have an undergrad from U of T in business. And after my MBA, I've gone back right into pharmaceuticals. I work for a pharmaceutical company in a two-year rotational program. Awesome. And Tasso's maybe, yeah, just a, a recap. Exactly. Sure. I, what I do feel bad. I, I don't know yeah. if you guys caught this on our way down. I uh, I insisted that she she uh, sit down first because I knew she would have to go first. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, very strategy. Very strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And be but, a grad right over there. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I'm Tasso's. I uh, did my undergrad in finance at York. And after that, I worked in tax consulting and pension consulting. And then I went, obviously, to Ivy to do my MBA, and now I work in institutional sales for an asset manager here in Toronto. Awesome. Well, great. Well, thanks for being here. Nice to have you back in person as well. Um, maybe to kick things off before we have some questions come through is, um, you know, Mandira, we'll start with you. If you would mind telling us. <laughs> You know, maybe tell us in a, you know, concise manner, 
how you approach the MBA decision. Yeah. I mean, given the significance of it, maybe the time you took and some of the touch points you did. Yeah. So do you mean the admissions process for an MBA? Or? No, how you chose like which schools to narrow down with applying to. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, I first came across uh, or got persuaded or interested in me doing an MBA when I attended an MBA fair with a friend and um, actually an IP employee, uh, someone that was previously a recruiter, um, said something that uh, Amy just said about not self-selecting yourself out of the program. I had pretty low grades, so I'd already kind of discounted myself out of it. And it just kind of um, and I was in need of a bit of a refresh in my career. Um, so I kind of explored MBA a little bit. I put my resume through the uh, webpage that Ivy has to evaluate yourself or assessment, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Lindsay reached out to me and we kind of went from there. Um, I had contacted a couple other schools, mainly, namely U of T and Smith, which is Queens. Um, those were my other schools within Canada that I was evaluating. Uh, ultimately, decision-making wise, I would say the main things I was looking for is, uh, well, a good job at the end of an MBA <laughs> that I was happy with, um, a solid network of people that I felt like I could talk to and reach out to in the future. And in general, just like a good time. So in terms of school, I wasn't a big fan of school. So the case-based discussion really drew uh, my interest. That's kind of how I went at it for my MBA process. And and touching on that as well, Tassos, how did you approach the decision uh, to pursue Ivy? Pretty much a a similar uh, approach. Uh, I wrote my... A GMAT, and then from there I I got an email from Ivy, and I was kind of excited because I I thought I would have to reach out first, but that was kind of a neat uh, experience. And then ever since then I started going to these types of events, and it was really a lot of the people that I met throughout that time, because I also looked at competing schools. I looked at Queens and I looked at U of T as well, and you know they're both they're both really good schools as well. But it was, and they have really good good people. But it was in these rooms where I started talking, like Dan Levine and yeah. other people uh, that would go on to be in the program that I knew. Well, you know, I'm investing a hundred grand. I'm taking a year out of my life. I hope the people that I that I'm here networking with and getting to be friends with are going to be people that I want to be around, especially for like 48 hours, 24 hours oh, yeah. when we do our 24 hour cases. It's that to me was really important. So just really talking to as many people as I I could, and obviously, you know, it's a little different now because everything's virtual. But except for this, yeah, um, yeah. So it was really just talking to a lot as many people as I could through the recruitment process, and that was really what sold me on IB. Um, I we were talking uh, before this, and we were talking about the differentiators, and so could you pinpoint maybe? Mandir, if you wanted to. No, <laughs> Sorry, no, I don't want to ask Mandir. Tass, pass. Yeah, pass. Can you talk about maybe one key differentiator? I know exploring many schools, they all have different, you know, appealing pieces. Um, but what was it about Ivy specifically? Like, if you can touch on one thing um, that really stood out um, as opposed to some other schools, and you know, that could be anything. But what stood out to you? 
I really wish uh, Madeira went first. But this is, so I apologize for this answer because it might sound similar to my previous answer, but it really was the people. And it, it was the people. Yeah. And when I say that, it's it's not like a corny term to throw out. It, it is very genuine because I knew that, again, these were the people that I wanted to spend time yeah. with. And I got that like right from day one. I got a very friendly, very uh, open vibe. Mm -hmm. So it was just, yes, the people. And and not just these people, but even our, the alumni. Yeah. Because I know I, and that was another major point. Now that I think about it, because, um, you know, you, throughout the program, you're going to be reaching out to a lot of people, doing a lot of coffee chats. And I, having talked to people that went to Ivy versus other MBA programs, I really got that kind of, that willingness to want to help you out throughout your career and not just that one year, but throughout. And I see that now two years out of it, that the IB alumni is really something that is very valuable, very meaningful. Yeah, I'll definitely echo that um, in terms of the people, in terms of the recruiters, the school itself, alums are very overly generous um, and very collegial. They'll, they'll, you know, like my current boss is an IB alum. Um, when I was in my job search, I reached out to many alum, but more surprisingly, many of them reached out to me, which is really cool. Um, so just like the environment that it sets and the paid forward mentality, that's really cool. Um, if I had to pick a different, uh, differentiator, it would probably be the case-based format as someone that's not, I wouldn't call myself an academic. So having that case-based mentality to it was really fun. There was kind of a story to everything. And because you had a really diverse crowd, there was always like a unique insight from somebody that either in terms of function, in terms of legal, uh, accounting or, or finance, things like that or industry, having someone from CPG to having somebody in consulting, it was just, it was just a different kind of environment. And each time, not each time, but most of the time, it was like a unique learning experience and kind of a fun format to do that in. It can be competitive too. So it's challenging to keep up at that fast paced contribution uh, mentality, uh, which I think you remember. <laughs> yeah, and it kicks in almost right away because you are doing an MBA and you do want to excel. But um, it can be really fun too if you can kind of calm down about it. <laughs> now, you know, one of the myths we didn't touch on because it's not totally admissions related, but it is, we do hear a lot of this around the London versus Toronto. You know, in terms of you need to be in downtown Toronto in order to be successful with a career in Toronto. Uh, and you both came from the Toronto area before moving to London. So, um, Tassos, can you uh, <laughs> tell us about that? As you were buying the MBA, was location at all a, a worry for you or a consideration? It was something that crossed my mind yeah. at the beginning. But just given Ivy's reputation, yeah. not only in Toronto, but worldwide like afterwards i would i applied to not just toronto but in the states uh, a couple of companies in europe and they were all very receptive to it and then even uh, when you're in london there is a lot there are a lot of it's not too hard to come back to toronto uh obviously everyone it's a very friendly environment everyone wants to carpool together we'd come back have a few drinks, go back. Not to <laughs> we'd wait a while, while go back. But it's, uh, so, yeah. So, yeah. No. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. Hard. Okay. Slight, and then Trump's buying all that. No, you're you're good. Yes. Okay. 
Um, so I was I knew that I was probably not going to participate in fall recruiting because I was looking for industry roles that were not necessarily corporate partners. Um, so that wasn't as much of a concern for me because I didn't anticipate being in Toronto kind of a priority for me during the year. But I will say I was part of the year that was during the COVID uh, tumultuous times. And it's a whole new reality and people are way more open to virtual. In-person always still makes a big difference for sure. But not coming down to Toronto from London, I would imagine is so much easier now that they're so much more open to it. There's always a link to Teams and Zoom link that's available. So I, um, so for my year, it was kind of an equalizer. It didn't matter where you were from, you were good. I imagine for the current year, that's as true as well. And I think for the next few years, that will be the case because you can't compel someone to come in, even if they're in the GTA. So it's, it can be good to come in, but it's kind of changed now in terms of that physical landscape. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what this year holds. Yeah, we'll know what our reporters are doing, if they're coming back to campus or not. That's still TBD. And, um, but yeah, either way, whether it goes back to pre-COVID times or we stay virtual, that the commute from London to Toronto really isn't that treacherous. It's it's not too difficult. There's buses, there's trains, there's cars, there's even a plane, should you so desire. So uh, there's multiple ways to get there to and fro. I do it quite often uh, myself. So um, it, it's good that it shouldn't be a, a hindrance, um, for sure. I guess in terms of career outcomes. If you're looking for your MBA to be in a lively city that has, you know, millions of people, well, sure, don't look at Ivy because a Londoner, it's never going to be that way. But, you know, there is, there are things to do and then there's a nice community to live in if that's of interest for you. And absolutely. But I think, um, you know, another area to touch on and, and we, you know, we have an area on our website that is, um, you know, it's uh, dedicated to the career management piece. Um, But I think many students and with other programs out there, the support isn't quite the same um, as you would see with Western, um, or sorry, with IB uh, School of Business. And so I think, you know, that's an important piece to touch on as well. And and just kind of like, uh, you know, give some depth to that and, and just really what they're all about and um, the support that they give throughout the program, which is unlike, I would say, any other MBA school out there. Um, they're really, truly a dedicated team. Um, they are top 10 uh, in North America, I believe was the last um, stat that we had in terms of the services provided to students. Um, and so, you know, looking at that, I think most students think that, oh, I'm on my own. You know, I, I'm in the program. I'm, I'm going to go through. I'm going to have to find my own placement. I'm going to, you know, after I'm going to, I'm going to be on my own. And that's just not the case. We have this team of career coaches who are there for you and will offer you those touch points um, as needed, right? And so um, you can really count on having that support from day one. Sometimes, in fact, they reach out before the program starts. It wouldn't be uncommon to receive an email, um, you know, to submit your resume for, you know, a preliminary review. But they are with you. They're really a partner in the process. Um, And that's a really, I'd say that that's really the way to look at it. And so, you know, how did you, um, I don't know, like, how did you go about that recruitment process? And and what, how did you find it in terms of um, just that, that process in in general and and did you find it pretty um you know just cohesive in in seeing it through like to the recruitment 
Yeah, for sure. So uh, I definitely leaned on career management often uh, throughout the year. Um, like Amy said, they reach out to you pretty early and there's consistent touch points uh, throughout the program. And um, from looking at your resume to helping you practice uh, all the interview questions exhaustively, your elevator pitch, um, helping you understand where you should focus your energy on with the process. Um, there's finding recruiting partners, things like that. They definitely have our, you know, that alumni from that niche area, they'll know that person or be able to help you connect with them. So they were really helpful with that. I think the way that I approached recruitment and the most of us that felt like moving forward was doing correctly is that it's, they're a very valuable resource that's available to you, but you have to be willing to engage with them. They can't just set up false, you know, goalposts for you just to make sure they have a touch point with you throughout the year. To a certain point, you are choosing to proactively do an MBA. And so you should be the driver of your career and have questions that you bring to them. So if you'd want to send a cover letter through for your application without consulting with them, they won't make you. They've already made you kind of do one skeleton one as an approval to kind of understand, or they've helped you train for it. But that's a really valuable resource that's for you to tap they are not going to force themselves on you so i think that's the thing about career management that's really important to remember that you need to be the driver of it that's great yeah i definitely agree and to that last point uh once you do tap in they're extremely responsive so it's uh it just makes it seem like a smooth and easy transition from where you start where you start off when you um, look back on your, you know, sort of pre-time, like your time before joining the program and the whole, you know, preparing your application and um, I guess you've been saying during your time in the program, looking at it now, knowing the outcome, knowing where you are with your careers and everything worked out and you got through those really tough times of the year, you thought, oh my gosh, I'm not going to make it. That uh, infamous first three months or that break week comes in just in time. Is there anything, you know, you would look and do differently? I know I was just nodding, but that's because I was thinking that's a really good question. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Was, uh, yeah, I think it would just be just to be more relaxed um, during the whole process. Everything kind of moves really quickly <laughs> and you're it's very understandable why you would be stressed. Even in the beginning, I remember like working on that. I think it's 250 or 550 yes. word paragraph yeah. that you. Right. Like I, I remember um, just typing it over and over and constantly editing it. And then uh, Julia at the yeah. time, the, she uh, she said, well, eventually you just have to pull the trigger and just believe that things will work out. And that's yeah. pretty much it. You yeah. just, that's great advice. Yeah. 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 Don't stress so much on that application essay. You know, absolutely take the time. Don't just write a whim and submit it, but don't overdo it either. There is a balance there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in terms of recruiting, I would say um, I wouldn't really do much differently. I think that I probably just was insecure in myself and my ability to do things. Um, and 
it's it's a crazy thing that happens and it's it's not to sound arrogant at all but once you go and you enter into the program you see that you're among people that are like you and all those things that you stressed about there's people that are on the varying ends of that um and you're average in some ways or excelling in some ways and you're below average in some ways but you've kind of rounded each other out so i worried a lot about not getting in and you feel like you earned it as soon as you're around the people. And it's kind of like cool to get that validation and that confidence boost um, as you excel in classes sometimes. Um, so I wouldn't have that insecurity if possible. That's <laughs> great advice. Got a question, right, Leanne? Yeah, so um, Kieran um, through Zoom has a question. His question is, as the case-based method is such a key part of the Ivy MBA, I'm wondering if either of the alum can comment on how their experiences were doing cases during COVID. Any challenges? This question. Uh, I think this <laughs> is on yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I my era. Yeah, I looked out. Yeah. So. Yeah. Kieran, you knew your audience. Yeah. <laughs> um, so cases during COVID. I mean, I can definitely speak to it. I just worry that it won't be your reality right. once you enter. Um, so I was the year that went into lockdown. Um, so it was, you know, messy, as you might imagine, even as you go into the workplace and people are figuring out how to connect, what platform to use, how they check in. Um, it was the same at, at, um, at school, except we didn't have prior connections to lean on immediately. So we had to kind of build that. Um, so I would say our case-based was kind of a rough start. Um, when you think about how you participate in a classroom, if you're doing it through Zoom and you have 60 to 80 people in a classroom, can you imagine 80 hands <laughs> going through and a professor who's trying Zoom for the first time trying to figure out how to choose somebody or where to go to see the person that wants to participate. So it was, I would say, tough. And we figured out our norms along the way um, as people got more comfortable. And by the end of the year, I definitely think that we were in a better space. Um, I would say during COVID, it can be kind of confusing sometimes but we also figured out ways to make it cool sometimes um if you're not uh contributing directly to the conversation but you have an aside from something in industry insight or if there's a file that you want to share really quickly you can do it on the chat um you can we were really active on our social media so we would share files very easily and quickly with each other live um we were able to take notes in a way that no class has ever been able to do before because in class you're not allowed to have your laptop um but at your home you can do whatever you want so we were able to be really collaborative in a different way um, that previous years weren't able to do. So we found a way to make it work. I would say it's not ideal. Like right, Amy yeah. said, Ivy's definitely, case-based is intended for in-person. And we definitely asserted that during our time there. But I, it won't happen to you. <laughs> You'll Touch be okay. all the wood in the room. Yeah. Yeah. We're yes, yes. You'll be yeah. okay. That's we got this. Awesome. Another question, Leanne? Yeah, um, Michelle has a question. She's, uh, you can unmute yourself and ask your question, Michelle. Great. 
Hi, um, I have two questions. The first one, Amy, we actually met during the post um, the postgrad program at Western Continuing Studies. Um, I did the PR program back in 2019. And yeah, it's nice to see you. As soon as I said, I heard Amy, I was like, oh my goodness, I totally recognize who you are. But I have a quick question in regards to that. So if we took that PR postgrad program, do those grades, are those considered or is it strictly undergraduate grades that are considered in the application? Right. Yeah. No, that, that is a good question. We would be looking at your undergrad. Only. Okay. Yeah. So, so those final two years, like I touched on, um, those are the ones that we would equate into your average, but not, okay. you know, not to discount your, your others that you can, right. you can submit those of course. And, um, that's additional education, yeah. um, that we will look at as well. So it, it all works together to, to build that application. Okay. And then another quick question was, um, as a Western um, undergrad student, well, previous undergrad student, is there any like benefits or like, do Western students get any like get their get their applications expedited in terms of review? Like, is there any benefits that Western alums see when they're applying to Ivy? Yeah, I, I would say um, the, the short answer, no. Um, it, it's really a matter of um, we love to see Western applicants, no doubt about it. Um, I, we, we get very excited. Um, but it's really done, um, it, there's a process involved. And so when we receive, um, you know, their move forward based on, you know, how complete they are, um, because sometimes we don't have a completed uh, application with all the references and, and the GMAT uh, submitted at once. So you could submit it, but not all the pieces are there. So we move forward based on uh, completion. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so so I guess the short answer, no, um, but we do try to expedite uh, a decision to you um, with some sort of communication about moving forward uh, to the next stage or perhaps not, uh, within a certain amount of time. And we try to do that within about a week or so mm -hmm. um, of receiving a complete application. Uh, you could expect a decision, a final decision on the application um, within about four to six weeks, depending on a number of factors, uh, you know, depending on the, the the deadline that we're working with. Some are a little bit busier than others. Um, but yeah, that, that should give you an idea of, of how we work. But unfortunately, no, not for the Western. Um, we treat all the Western alone, equally. We treat all schools equally. Everyone's equal. Yes, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's nice to so connect question. again. Yeah, yeah. Great, great, great question. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to touch on. Oh, Andrew, yeah. go ahead. No, please ask the question. Hi. Uh, so MBA program is very intensive. What was your uh, typical study week and what was like life study balance? Uh, yeah. yeah, so you're right. Very intensive. <laughs> uh, so the first six months, we had class every day on the weekdays from 8.20 to like noonish or 1, 8.20 to 1, I think. So, and they would all be, uh, I think there were four back to back and we would get some time, like 15 minute break in between. But after that, we would typically for me, it was around two hours with my, I would get together with my study groups, with my study group, because we would have a specific one for around almost one and a half months. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been that long. I don't know why I'm <laughs> But um, yeah, so that would be, we would get a study room and it would be, like they mentioned before, really good conversation because everyone has different back has it comes from a different background, 
And uh, so you think you're you think you know the answer, and then 20 minutes into it, there's a bit of a debate going back and forth, but good, healthy debate. So it's really good for from a learning perspective. And then I'd spend probably like one hour, another additional hour a day by myself, and then participate in a lot of social activities because, and that goes back to another point earlier when you asked us about is there any disadvantage of being in London. Another advantage that I thought about afterwards is London is such a small, tight community, and it really allows you to be with your classmates a lot and really get that uh, bond a lot more than you would in maybe like a big city like Toronto. So that was, so I was able to balance a lot of academic with uh, socializing. That was me, but as I was thinking about it, I don't know if three hours a day if that's the recommended amount, but I'll let you take it away. To each their own again, right? You do you, yeah. but yeah. And we get studying as well. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. To- uh, I'm totally aligned. I think that it depends on how fast you read and how you synthesize information, how effectively you study. If you're reading the same sentence over and over again, then you're not studying effectively. So however you use your time, it gets better with time. The first week is probably really chaotic. We do three cases every day. It's, so 15 cases for a week is pretty intense. Some cases can be as low as two, but most likely they'll be like 10 to 20 um, with a lot of information, especially at first. So it can get really intense. There's different strategies to help work it out, but and different people took notes in different ways, but like you master it with time. Like I, for example, used to read my cases over the weekend for the most part and then do the work required in the cases during the week um, because that was the best way that I could do things while I'm at home during COVID. Um, But like it is intense, but you learn how to adapt. Thank you. That's a great question. Yeah, Kevin. Hi. You talked about GMAT and GPAs, uh, and then you said what really matters is who you are and how you fit. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Um, Do you mean like a professional growth, and that's how you get reflected on references? Or do you look at, I know some schools look at extracurriculum, but also if you were so focused, I guess most of the people that enter is about uh, four to like eight years. Like, if you're so focused on your career, I mean, there's so little time outside yeah. of it to really develop any extra curriculum. So how do you guys take, um, like, what kind of quality are you looking for in a candidate and like, what kind of people that you think will fit the best? Yes. So the academic side of it is where, you know, we want that pulse to make sure you can do well on the program, but neither GPA or GMAT will fully define your abilities. Absolutely not. We're not believers in that, but they do tell us a story fit, right? Together with what we look for is the sort of merit of your profile. We will always say, you know, leadership. And I mean, it's like, what does leadership mean? I mean, there's many definitions of leadership and it's very vague. And so part of what we're trying to see through your application, your resume, what your references speak to, is understanding, you know, have you worked on projects? Have you handled responsibility? Have you achieved results? We're trying to make sure you've had enough experience at a level that you can contribute effectively to the conversation. That a task citizen in Mandira would benefit from hearing 
where you've done with your career based, like how you're analyzing that problem is based on your experiences and that's shaped your perspective. So they'll gain from you if you've had enough experience. This is why we want at least two years of full-time experience up to around the nine, 10 years mark. And we put like asterisks on either side, because again, as I said earlier, it depends on your, on your experience and where you've been. Some individuals have actually accomplished quite a bit in two years and others you know, went up maybe a bit of a path in all over the place and, and they got there later on in life. And that's great. And so that's why we have that range because that range with any year, the average sits between four and five years experience of full time after university. That is the magic for having effective, fulsome classroom conversations. And also for you to be able to understand the business concepts too. You've had a nice life experiences through your career to say, okay, I can formulate an, an idea or perspective on this problem. Extracurricular is a great question. I mean, listen, 24 hours in a day can go by like that. So we understand that not everyone can be a board member, can volunteer, can be part of a sport outside of work. Even if you've got family and other kids going on, that's a lot to do. So you're not penalized if you don't have extracurriculars or all these extras on, on your, if your resume, if your resume simply has education and work experience, you're okay. Uh, we, we all have had those times in our lives. So um, if you do have it though, share it because it does tell us a little bit about you. Are you interested in certain um, activities? Do you have passions? For example, are you really passionate about women in business? You know, we have certain scholarships with our partnerships with Forte and Lena in Canada specifically where, you know, we'd want to see that, yeah, actually on the, on the weekend, I am part of these initiatives or I'm encouraging women in business, even if it's through your employer, that is information you want to share, whether it's in your resume or some part through your application, or certainly your references can speak to as well. So collectively, we're looking for a well-rounded individual who's had you know, a good career so far. Whatever the career has been in, maybe you've had depth of experience at one organization, or you've had some breadth and you've moved around a bit. But through it all, you've been in situations where you had to think criti critically, you know, uh, make decisions, handle responsibility. And that will try to figure out through all these parts of your application of whether you have enough quality experience that we think, yeah, now is the time for you. We might come back to you and say, you know what, Heaven? In one more year, we think you'd be great. You just need a little bit more. We need to see a little bit more from you. And that's some of the conversations that we'll have with you as well. But holistically, that's really what we try to understand through your experiences, um, which your references do certainly play a role, and we're trying to assess you for fit. Absolutely. And Leanne, there's a question. Yeah, we have a question from Ali. Um, he's wondering... Uh, what about the, your accommodation, like living close or far from campus? How or you um, you guys did? Um, if if you have any recommendations for living closer or living close to downtown? Um, um, I'll kind of go off what Tesla said. So being in London, one of the big benefits is that you get to socialize with your classmates, and that was one of the bigger reasons why. I chose Ivy because I wanted to be immersed in the experience. And so for me, I chose to live uh, downtown and that's because most of the socializing happens downtown and I didn't want to bus down or park somewhere and I want to reduce my cost that way. And uh, I found that majority were either around downtown or right beside campus. So there is value. Uh, so. I mean, Cherry Hill uh, or along Richmond Street or just, um, I can't remember. There is like a residence option yeah. uh, that if you wanted to. So those are options as well. And so there's kind of a sub community in the major areas, I would say. So there, you always were 
among or near um, other MBA students. So it wasn't too much of a big deal. But I, I would personally prefer, I, I don't regret my decision to live downtown. I think that was the right decision. Same. I agree yeah. with you. I, th- yeah. I definitely think that was the right decision. Although I did have some friends that lived uh, by uh, Cherry. Cherry. Yeah. 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 One of them, I, I see them every weekend now. We golf together. And, uh, but yeah, it's just, you have, um, there are a lot of clusters. So I think uh, you can't really go wrong wherever you choose, really. I mean, it, it is a small, big town, we call it. It's, uh, it, it's I would say, on a good day uh, from north to south. You're, it's going to take you probably 25 minutes on a bad day, not much longer at 35 minutes. Yeah. And, like, literally, it's not from A to B. It's pretty quick. You're on the bus route as well. Um, so, I mean, there are many options. And, you know, people do have cars and, and they do uh, carpool as well. So, I think it's pretty easy in terms of just getting transport. And the bus pass is part of your tuition. It is. So, um, you know, most students on campus don't have a car because there's a whole parking thing. And if you want to save your expenses while you're not working for a year, you can you can forego a car insurance if you don't um, want. And certainly, like, again, there are those who have cars and you just butter them up with some coffee or other uh, <laughs> uh, things. Uh, carpool down to Toronto, should you wish, or down to Fort Stanley or the other beach in the area. And uh, they'd be more obliged to. So um, I just want to say, I know we've come to the end of our time. So I, I want to thank everyone everyone so much for for asking great questions both virtually and in person and thank you to Tassos and Mandira amazing insights as always um thank you for sharing your experiences and it actually worked out well that we had a COVID cohort and a pre-COVID uh, just, the tail of it, but just to give a little bit of a different perspective on, on it so uh hopefully we're not going to replay Mandira's year anymore that we are moving forward um but you know we'll just touch so um thanks so much for everyone else and um again if you haven't already reached out with amy and myself please do we're happy to help you and uh, support you along considering uh, the nba great thanks everyone thanks for tuning into our podcast for more information on our mba program and other online resources please visit go.ivy.ca forward slash mba